With equipment breakdown coverage from American Family Insurance, you can protect all the things that keep your dream home running from sudden mechanical or electrical issues. Because this sound shouldn't mean... Contact your local agent or visit AmFam.com to learn more. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Refer to policy for equipment breakdown covered losses, deductible limitations, and exclusions. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Products not available in every state. Hey, what the suck, family? As you may have noticed, we recently switched to Anchor for our podcast hosting needs. That's right. We were using another site that had us paying 20 bucks a month for services such as unlimited uploading, unlimited hosting, and distribution. Anchor will distribute your podcast to Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, and many more, and they do it all for free. They make it super easy to create and start your podcast directly from their site. You can record and edit directly on the Anchor website or app directly from your phone. It's your one-stop shop for everything you need to create your own show. They will even help you find sponsors to fund your project. Just go to anchor.fm and get started today. There really is no easier way to do it. Sorry, I have some... Oh, damn, okay. What? No! You suck! Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of What the Suck. I'm Chris. And I'm James. And today we have a special in-house guest, the one, the only, none other than my wife, Kristen. Hi everybody. So she has graciously volunteered to be brave enough to watch <laughs> one of our shitty, shitty movies with us. I don't know if it's the movie she's got to worry about or our bullshit behavior. Uh, <laughs> well, I married half of it. Yeah, so yeah, you did. Of it. Yeah, that she is did. True. Uh, you don't, uh, you don't particularly like scary movies, do you, babe? No, no, I am the biggest wuss you will ever meet. I do not like scary movies. I do not like suspense. I certainly do not like horror. So I'm very pleased to hear the uh, title of tonight's film. So what what would you say is the scariest movie you've seen to date? Oh, gosh. Um, Lilo and Stitch? (laughs) I don't know. uh, Nightmare Before Christmas is kind of spooky. Yeah, Nightmare Before Christmas. um, No, but I actually did give a few, like, scarier stuff a try. Like, uh, the the thing that came out on Netflix, The House on Haunted Hill. Oh, yeah. We enjoyed that one Uh a lot. That was really good. Uh, there was a jump scare at the uh, closer to the end. Um, if for those of you who have seen it, know which one I'm talking about. But I literally came unglued. I'm just came straight off the couch. Pull a muscle or something. I did. Yeah. I, that was like leg day for me. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it it actually got me too. Oh, I mean, okay. Yeah, but, I, I the jump scares uh, they're they're very predictable, but yet every once in a blue moon I'll get caught by one. Yeah. Like, I think one of our first episodes we did, or uh, what was it, the uh, uh, the Chuck Connors one we did with the dolls and them, you know, all the stupid mannequins. Oh, uh, um, Tourist Trap. Tourist Trap. Yeah. yeah. There was one in there 
it was a corny jump scare and it actually made me jump and it pissed me off because I, <laughs> I, I see these things coming from a mile away. So I'm always trying to not, you know, I don't try to fall for that crap. Yeah. So. Generally jump scares are very predictable. I mean, it's a change in music or a change in camera work. You're like, here it comes. Yeah. A change in the right. camera scene or something. It's, it's usually yeah. set up pretty well, but that one in House on Honey Hill, because it involved a section that was so drama filled and you were actually interested in the characters, you, yep. you weren't expecting it. And there was no change in the music. There was no shifting of camera work. So it was like, boom. You're just watching these two gotcha. family members just discuss a family issue, and all of a sudden this ghosty wants to come out and make you shit your pants. Basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much it. I was like, I'm done. I'm done. And I just like went into the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, well, we appreciate you uh, coming on. Yes, indeed. And, thank, uh, thank you for uh, gracing us with your presence. Well, yes. Thank you for and, having me. Well, and as course. I like to tell our viewers every once in a while, brace for impact. Yes. So <laughs> it just goes downhill. It, it, it never went uphill. <laughs> it just leveled out. So tonight's film is the 1965 British horror film, Dr. Terror's House of Horrors. Two years before I was born. Oh, nice. Okay. All I right. like that. We're getting closer to our, our birth time. Getting close. Yeah. <laughs> uh, directed, or uh, not directed, but it's from Amicus Productions. It was directed by veteran horror director Freddie Francis, written by Milton Sabatsky. Starring the legendary Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Now, it was the first in a series of anthology films from Amicus and followed was followed by several films including Torture Garden in 67, The House That Dripped Blood in 70, Asylum in 72, Tales from the Crypt in 72, The Vault of Horror in 73, and From Beyond the Grave in 1974. And that is an interesting fact because I did not know that Tales from the Crypt was actually revived for the 80s and 90s series on HBO. I had no idea. I thought it was like... Original. Original. Yeah. I mean, it kind of... It's it is, but it, it was redone in a much more dramatic fashion. Because you know, he tells from the crypt. It's crypt keeper. It's crazy uh, scenarios. Whereas the British uh, one was much more subdued. Of course it is. Yeah, it wasn't you know flash in the pan. It was just more uh, psychological uh, horror than anything else. Jolly good shows. Yes, yes, uh, so, directed by Freddie Francis, uh, produced by Max Rosenberg, Milton Sabatsky, written by Milton Sabatsky, starring Peter Cushion, Christopher Lee, Max Adrian, Annabelle, Peter Maiden, or Madden, Donald Sutherland, too. I don't know if you Donald? Know. Donald Sutherland, wow. that's right. Damn. Father of Kiefer Sutherland, uh, Roy, and Roy Castle. Do you know that guy has never won an Oscar? Donald Sutherland? He has done several fine performances, but he's never won any really big awards for it. But yeah, no, he hasn't, which is then crazy. again, starring in pieces of shit like this, you can kind of see why. Yeah, you gotta see why you're looked over. Yeah. Distributed by Regal Films in the UK and Paramount Pictures here in the good old US of A. Paramount. Yep. Oh Lord. Uh, it was released initially in February of 1965 in the UK, and then a few months later in June of 1965 here in the USA. Running time is 98 minutes. Damn. That's, that's a little bit long. That's for... about 20 minutes too long, Well, man. there are <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, five uh, stories in this anthology. Ah. So that's probably why. Mm. Yes. Damn. Let's see. It was released with a budget uh, of 105,000 pounds. 105,000 pounds. Donald Sutherland was paid a mere 1,000 pounds for his performance, which is 10,000 in current day money. 
10 grand in current day dollars. Yeah, so we'll keep that in mind as we figure out exactly how much he's in the movie, see if he actually got his money's worth or if he was underpaid. Technoscope. Yep. So it says, filmed yep. in a cinematic process known as Technoscope. Filmed in we Technoscope, that's right. Okay, Dr. Terror's House of Horrors. Dr. Terror, played by Peter Cushing from Star Wars. Oh, thank you. I wouldn't have realized he was from Star Wars if I hadn't known who he was. Is a mysterious fortune teller who boards a train and offers to tell five fellow passengers their fortune with tarot cards. In six different languages. Yeah. Five accents, accents, yeah. Five, <laughs> five possible futures unfold. An architect returns from his ancestral home to find a werewolf out for revenge. A huge flesh-eating vine takes over our house. I think we saw that movie already. A musician gets involved with voodoo. An art critic is pursued by a disembodied hand, and a doctor discovers his new life or his new wife is a vampire. But they all end in the same result: death. Spoilers, much? Yeah. Yeah. A fascinating and fast-paced example of Portmanteau filmmaking. The hell? Port Port Portmanteau Portmanteau filmmaking with a deadly twist in the tale. Interesting. From Amicus, the studio that dripped blood during the 1960s and 70s. Brit- Britain's Amicus Productions were one of the world's leading makers of horror movies, rivaling Hammer Films in popularity. Their productions boasted spine-chilling, toe-curling adventures, lurid titles, stylish direction, and stellar casts. Yeah, so there's a. So what we'll do is we'll talk about each story, each. Uh, what are they called? Uh, that's they called and, segments. And well, yeah, I guess we could say call segments. segments. Yeah. And then uh, we'll each individual re- turd in the pile. And we'll review each one as as we uh, come across it. Sounds like it. All right, so let's uh, go with the review system. Uh, as you guys remember, our review system is uh, reversed. It's based on shit emojis. And <laughs> one through five, with one being the best, five being the worst. So uh, one, out of, one out of five shit emojis is something you're going to keep in your queue. It's going to be one of your new classics. You're going to want to watch it over and over. You get, you'll get endless enjoyment out of it. And... Uh, so will your friends. Two out of five is something that you'll uh, watch only once with your friends um, and only with those who enjoy really shitty movies. These aren't ones that are for everybody. Uh, they're best to do with a group who like to riff on movies or play a drinking game. Absolutely. Three out of five, you will at least share these with friends. You don't have to watch them with them, but if you have nothing better to do, then go for it. But be prepared to drink heavily while watching. Four out of five, you go ahead and watch it once with your friends, and trust me, that will be enough for you and your friends. These are the ones that are so strange that uh, you're not going to want to see them more than once, but you at least want to share your misery with your friends. Now, the first, the the first, or the worst, I should say, the five out of five, the Fica de la Matter. You'll bring these out only on special occasions, like a forced double date, in-laws in town, trying to get rid of a, of a soon-to-be ex-frenemy. When finished, you're going to remove <laughs> the memory of these movies with a mind-altering substance or some sort of blunt force trauma. Absolutely. So. Okay. Yeah, so uh, do you, under- you understand the, um, the rating system, Boo? Yes. All right, so you're ready to... Watch a shitty movie and assign it one of these particular... So my question is, are we assigning each story a rating or the movie as a whole? Exactly. You're not supposed to think that much. <laughs> you know, oh, so... you have you, obviously but... not met me. Yeah. <laughs> but usually we do the first one. Yep. Yeah. Oh, so for we... anthologies? Yeah, we'll, okay. we'll 
give each individual segment a rating and then do an overall rating at the end. Ah, that is true. Got it. Okay. An average turd. Average turd out of the That's right. turds from each segment. So Okay. Keep that in Problem mind. is these movies these older movies are charming, so they're not as hard to be mean to, but I'm gonna do my best. I know. I'm kinda of feeling sad about it a little bit especially now that we've gone over the cast i have like faces and names yeah well trust me when you've said holy shit what the hell was that about 20 times then (laughs) it will come easy all right so all right well before we get started so why don't you tell everybody about yourself babe like uh, what is it you do what are you interested in what your hobbies Okay, so a little bit about me. Uh, So I enjoy cross-stitching. I absolutely love uh, reading, and I love Harry Potter in all forms. Yes, yes, we both do. Have yet to enjoy the audiobook format. I highly recommend it. It is a must-have. So that's a little brief. You do a a little bit of uh, modeling too, huh? Yes. Cosplaying, (laughs) huh? So yes, I uh, I I do. We uh, we do. I'm part of a a cosplay group here in Houston, and we um, we do group shoots and we do theme shoots every month. And uh, so we just finished up a witch theme shoot, which was amazing. Next month is going to be a masquerade theme. So uh, that is a awesome, awesome group of talented photographers and models that i get to spend my time with yes all right well very cool babe all right well very good very all nice. right now that we've got the pleasantries out the way let's get with the shitteries huh yeah enough of all this mushy bullshit let's That's get right. on with the let's, let's get on with the slam and all this bullshit all right all right dreaded man called Dr. Terror who, with his deck of mystic cards, could foretell destiny. Dr. Terror's House of Horrors. Okay, so this movie is an anthology, and the wraparound story, which is the story that connects all the other stories, takes place on a train. Dr. Terror, or as he's known in this movie, Dr. Shrek, which is... (laughs) German for, German for terror and or tall green ogre. Boards a train and enters a room with five other passengers. And during that time, apparently his uh, his uh, suitcase falls over and all the shit comes out. <laughs> including a tech of a tech a tech of Daryl cards. Tech of Daryl cards. <laughs> tech of Daryl cards. Yes. A, a deck of tarot cards. And at that point, the passengers are very interested in the cards. And so Dr. Terror relays that each card holds a destiny and he can tell each passenger their destiny by reading the cards and a quick note i wasn't even paying attention at that point i was looking around and i looked at oh what, what the hell are those tarot cards i had no idea yep they were 
I just said, he just had a handful of shit and they were all discombobulated. So there really was like crumpled up receipts, like falling yeah. out of the bag. I, think, and, I mean, it kind of looked like my purse a little bit. <laughs> I, I think all that paper was actually just one CVS receipt that he had just crumbled in there. Yes. Yep, I yeah. think so. Yeah. <laughs> so that is the, that provides the framework for the horror stories. And I got to say, as someone who has seen a lot of uh, anthologies, I always enjoy when the wraparound story is very well done. And this is actually very, very well done. That's the problem. You're not supposed to have good movies on this motherfucker. Yeah, but that's I guess... another thing, too. It's good acting in this one. It's, that's actually fantastic acting for the time period, of course. But these are these are big-name guys, and they don't they don't know how to act shitty. So Yeah, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they do very well. And, but, I mean, because, you know, there's, there's been a whole bunch of different types of anthologies, and they're always – some of them – tell the wraparound story better than others i mean like the vhs the first two vhs movies have a really great wraparound story that that serves as the basis the framework for it um there's a couple others that uh the, the creep show movie the first creep show has yeah. a great frame wraparound framework fantastic but then there are others where that are so just immensely lazy that the wraparound makes no sense and it doesn't make any sense as to why the stories are being told. But this is actually very well done. I mean, telling the stories in the form of destinies through the tarot cards with all the passengers in one room is actually, I think, I think it's actually a pretty brilliant idea. Yeah, you actually nailed that because I remember when they, when they first started talking about it, he said, oh, everybody in this room is going to be one of the sub-stories. Yeah. So that was, yeah. That was a good call. Yeah, it was, mm-hmm. it was very I was well like, done. how are they going to do that? But then it made a lot of sense. I was like, aha. Yeah, and, and by doing the... Doing it with the uh, tarot cards and the destinies, you know, each each person picks their own tarot deck or whatever, or tarot cards, and it's easier to inject that person into the story. Yep. So, uh, yeah, so far so good. That's uh, that's a bad thing for us, though. Yeah, because uh, it's hard to rip on movies like this because of the classic nature, the very well you know the well done acting stuff like that it, it's hard to pick out something but we'll we'll try but also too with it being on a train you know they're all in the same like cabin or or whatever they're called but because they're in a train it's easier for them to stumble upon a group of strangers True. and all kind of sit in the same cargo area and all like we've mentioned we noted during watching it they all have different accents they're all clearly from different walks of life (laughs) and have different acting styles and so to be able to insert that into their unique stories makes sense with the tarot cards too yeah it really does it's it's a super cool way to do it how does it work the person whose fortune is to be told touches the cards three times then they are shuffled in depth the first four cards predict his destiny. The fifth gives him the knowledge to change it, if change is possible. So the so the first guy who is brave enough to say yes to a tarot card reading is uh, the architect Jim Dawson, and his story is well the well they don't have the names of the stories in the movie. You can find them online on Wikipedia or whatever. So the first story is called Werewolf. So spoiler as to what it involves. <laughs> yeah, so it starts off with him. He returns to his old family home in Scotland. Scotland! And, uh... We're going home. Yeah, got it. Just can't do it. Need more dilithium crystals, Captain. All right, this whole review is going to be nothing but bad Scotty impressions. Sorry. Uh, yeah, so he returns home to his family, his family home to look over renovations with the new owner but fuck why why in the fuck renovate 
you walk in there and this place is a work of art i mean it's a gorgeous freaking house like you said the damn fireplace was the shit oh my gosh yeah uh-huh. it, was, it was absolutely gorgeous. i mean it was a gorgeous freaking house yeah so I don't, I mean... Why are you going to tear it apart? Yeah, I don't know. Well, I, as, as we learn later on at the end of the movie, that whole making renovations was just a ruse to get him there. Yes. So that she could eat him. Spoilers. <laughs> so, uh, the I want to new... say, too, sorry to interrupt, but I no, want to say, too, that the wife, uh, the uh, Mrs. Bit... Oh, I'm not going to be able Bit-off? to... Biddulph? Biddulph. Uh, Mrs. Biddulph. Just uh, say bitch. Uh, yes. Um, old, old bitch. Yeah. Because old, old bitch and young bitch. Mrs. Biddy. Biddy. <laughs> so she uh, mentions it earlier in the story that, you know, she really struggled to get over her husband and that that probably had caused a delay in renovating the home or making changes to the home because she was grieving. So Just she, making she, fucking excuses. Yeah. Old bitch lazy. <laughs> So uh-huh. so he he work. Yeah. <laughs> so he meets old Biddy and um, he meets uh, the maid the young Biddy and then who the hell was that dude with the, the, the butler or some shit that the, the creepy slope, the dude yeah slope forehead dude that's that a butler headed fuck yeah, yeah come, that creepy that creepy closet jumping bitch like we just Creeping in and out of closets and shit, sneaking up and down the hallways. And you rang. No, for real though, that's probably my favorite part of the whole story. <laughs> so he finds a while while he's down in the basement, and the he finds a, a a fake wall that he knocks out in the cellar actually, and he finds a coffin in there, and the is the coffin of Count Cosmo Valdemar. The coffin of Cosmo Valdemar, the werewolf. Who sounds like he was less of a count. And that sounds like a drag queen name. I'm I was just going to say that, yeah. <laughs> sounds like he, he spent less time on Transylvania and more time on Montrose. Count Cosmo. Yeah. Count Cosmo Valdemar. <laughs> blah, blah. That's right. <laughs> Fabulous. So, uh, and there's a legend that states that Valdemar will reclaim his former home and take revenge on the current owner. Uh and that's when we get the scene where he tried the Dawson dude tries to open it, but he can't. The coffin, he can't open the coffin, and they leave. And then the coffin opens, and this tiny, well, not tiny, but this hand comes out that's full of like dog hair. And you're like, yeah, that, you can see that coming. Yeah, and like it's to where even though they're taking more from the vampiric side myth of the mythos, I guess they are, but. You know, fuck it. I've never werewolves. seen a werewolf in a goddamn coffin. I know. Werewolves don't have coffins. No, no, but the coffin was the shit, you have to admit. It had this big old wolf head <laughs> on the side of it. It took 17 dudes to try and open it. Yeah, I, I wonder mean, what's in this. Look, yeah. if they remake this in, in this time period, instead of putting him in a coffin, they need to find an ancient old dog kennel. Something. That he's locked in. He was locked yes. in. He was buried in a dog kennel. Go to kennel. your crate. Go to your crate. That's right. Go to bed. I was hoping for Crate Monkey from Creep Show, but... No, oh yeah didn't happen valdemar you're drunk go to bed go to your crate <laughs> so anyway so then the werewolf comes out and then we find the young biddy has been killed problem is you don't see that no it's all off screen that's all off screen you, you that is one thing I've, I've hated about this so far i don't like off screen shit so i like to see death i, I do as long as it's not bad death i mean Hopefully like bad is in badly um badly done like uh yeah. like that circus movie we watched oh, that, was, that was fucking horrible where like the, the the killing was on screen for like fifteen minutes and I was done after five because it was so bad. Oh, you talking about the uh, the, the freak show? Yeah, freak yeah. show. Shit. Yeah. Eh. 
Continue, uh, sir. No, that's fine. And so um, somehow Dawson then believes in the whole werewolf myth or what or legend or whatever, and decides he wants to make silver bullets out of a silver cross that was on the wall. Now that was the fastest transition of oh, there's a werewolf legend to we found a dead body to the <laughs> him drinking the Kool Aid. Yeah, that yeah. I have ever seen in my life because it was all it literally all happened in the space span of like three hours in one night. Well, they only have fifteen minutes a segment, dude. But still, Holy I mean, shit. damn. So anyway, so he goes to make these. He makes <laughs> damn, his, damn. So he makes these bullets, and then while he's he's in the basement waiting to to kill the wolf, he goes there and he looks in the coffin. It's empty. Call so, me lazy or crazy. Did did uh, he even show? Did they even show him making those fucking bullets? No, no. it didn't. No, it didn't. Okay, they didn't. Boring. Yeah. So then uh, he's waiting there, and he's waiting for the wolf to come back. And all of a sudden, you hear old Biddy upstairs screaming, <laughs> and he runs up there, and we get the only shot of the wolf we get is a close up shot of the wolf's teeth and eyes. And, and it, that's it. And it looks like a German Shepherd. I'm it sorry. Looks like, it looks like a regular wolf dog. It looks yeah. like the jowls of a German Shepherd. And then he shoots at it, and it runs off into the basement again, the cellar. <laughs> into, a, into a red fog and actually opens and closes the fucking door. Yeah. Slams yeah. that door. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that wolf was pissed. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and so then he uh, he's tripping out as to why the bullets didn't work. So he, he swears he hit him, and then that's when old Biddy's like, you he, mean these? Yeah, he tells her, I, I made silver bullets. Oh, no, that, that's not even Scottish. What the hell was that? I don't know what that was, but so Just, I, oh, I made silver bullets. Why didn't it do work? And, <laughs> and that's when old Biddy was like, How, James? <laughs> yeah, sure. Make me do it again. Yeah, See, do I, it again. I, I do it better when I'm not thinking. Bro. Just fucking do it. I said, Oh, you mean these perfect, silver perfect. bullets? <laughs> Perfect. And, and then uh, she walking at him with his slow hand bullshit. You notice I'm doing the motions, but nobody nobody can fucking, fucking see, see us. Yeah. <laughs> so so what, what what's the twist here, Kristen? What happens after that? Uh, so she was married to the werewolf. So she's Mrs. Count Cosmo. Yes. And <laughs> I thought it, I thought it'd be Mr. Count, but whatever. Yeah. Well, she's the Mrs. I thought it'd be two Misters, though. You know what I'm saying? Oh, good point. Like, Got oh, hi yeah. hi. So, <laughs> Mrs. Count Cosmo uh, reveals the big uh, story or twist at the end that it was all a ruse to get the original owner of the home, who was the architect, to because he is, is part of the lineage that originally owned the home. And if he, the werewolf kills him... Then he will be free. And that is entirely girl... too intelligent sounding. You got to dumb this shit down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> the werewolf actually was I... <laughs> the lycanthrope approach well, from the you, east and blah blah blah. If you go back many millennia in German history, the term werewolf comes from. And then if you turn to page three hundred and ninety-four, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> um. Yeah, so Mrs. Count Cosmo is also a werewolf, and um, she busts out like her newly Manny Petty situation and scratches a hoe. <laughs> that's right, scratches. And that's it. it. Yeah. That's Done. the end of the story. Done in that end one. And the segment number one. Yeah. So four uh, more to go. Yeah. So all right, let's uh, start with James. Uh, let's give your rating for this one, James. I'm, you know, I already love this movie. I'm sorry, it's corny, but it's '60s corny. The acting is fantastic. The photography is actually good. The effects were typical of the period uh i'm going to one star so one, one star one star one star, one star. One star. wow one what fucking turd. podcast are you on 
I'm going a turd. One turd for this I can't, one. I can't be mean to this movie. It's, okay. it's actually quite good so far. All right. Kristen, what about you? What do you give this particular segment? So, I have to agree with James. What I can see with this movie or so far, uh, and particularly this segment, is like I could see this like on a, P- a TV in a living room at like a family Halloween or something like that. You know, maybe like on mute or on the background or something. It's fun. It's cute it's a little slow um but it's very very typical of the era and i'm i agree one one okay damn she agrees with me she does i know so far you got four segments to go well me and mr man over there we never fucking hardly agree on anything i mean we're pretty (laughs) close on a lot of movies but we're always a little bit different go for it bro all right um yeah the the atmosphere the cinematography everything is, is really great but i mean it's standard i mean it it's very much of the time period as far as horror films go but that is also in its detriment because it doesn't really show anything and the special effects are are not there uh the story is is charming at the beginning but as we go along i just got kind of bored and then when they did the fake out the fake out with the wolf i was kind of like i thought that was pretty lame so i I enjoyed it, but I'm going to go three for this one. Wow. Yeah. You're a one harsh motherfucker. I am. Damn. Uh, I am. So, yeah. So, three for this one. All right. So, let's go on to the next one, which would be Creeping Vine. Ow! What is it? What is it? Bill! It seemed to cry out in pain when I hit it. And I couldn't cut into it with the hoe. The next segment is called Creeping Vine, or at least that's what the uh, listing says. Uh, And it has to do with one of the passengers who comes home from vacation and with his wife and his daughter to discover a rather rogue plant or vine grown in their garden. And when they attempt to cut it down, it fights back. And not only does it fight back, it yelps. It moves. It screams. It screams and it moves. And there's really not a lot to this uh, short. Um, at some point, the plant uh, envelopes the entire house. Yeah, that, what it is, is it, it, first of all, this movie. This is where the movie took a huge dive for me. And a, and a huge dump. It's a very small segment, but yeah, you saw him out there jacking with it. And then what happens? The family dog goes over there and starts digging around, and they committed the mortal sin of killing the dog. So yeah. therefore, I hated this entire segment i don't give a damn the acting was still good but the rest of the segment fuck it (laughs) yeah i think that essentially the whole concept of this uh segment was talking about how the vine is gaining intelligence and so they are trying to outwit the vine and they never can and so the at first it you know (laughs) they try to chop it down and it gives this little bitty scream and then it eats the dog well doesn't it kills the dog and then well we can't forget the shoulder tap you know the the the, the Uh, vine comes creeping in the window and taps that dude on the shoulder and he spins around and all of a sudden, and he's and then he's down for the count. Yeah, and laying on the bed with pieces of vine hanging off of him, dead. It's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the, uh, the 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 family is trapped with some other dude who I guess is a friend of the father's or whatever, and he discovers that that the plant, like all living things, are afraid of fire. So he grabs a newspaper, sets it on fire, and then <laughs> proceeds out the door um, through the the entanglement of leaves. 
yep. to his car and you hear him take off and then <laughs> Peace, the, bitches. <laughs> the the short ends with the family stuck in the house and that's how it ends there's no it. resolution there's and it stops nothing. off it's just so, done yep so i'm gonna start this one off sorry this this segment for me took a nosedive when they killed the dog five turds five turds it was it was stupid Kristen. Three. Three. Okay. Yeah. What what redeeming factors did you uh did you glean from this segment to give um, to go from a five to a three? Well, one of the things that we talked about in the first segment was that a lot of the things happened off screen. So um, seeing some of the murdering off screen or some of the more scary scenes off screen, and this was the being the second segment you actually see the vine even though it's probably you know just the typical fishing line floating business but it floats <laughs> to the guy and taps him on the shoulder and yeah. then strangles him and yep. you do see that on screen and you see him laying up on the bed dead and, yeah that's um, true so in terms of like the concept of it being a horror film that was the redeeming factor for me yep well, I'm gonna go in between y'all and give it a four. Damn, putting me at the I'm I'm the most harsh on this one. Okay. Yeah, I mean it. I just I found the whole concept ridiculous. I mean, w- when you start off a anthology with a werewolf, and then your next story is a killer fucking plant, <laughs> it's not exactly keeping the tone yeah. strong with the rest of the movie. Yeah, uh, something about you know threatening foliage just does not yeah. uh, do it for me no no um and then the way it ended without any sort of resolution and, and no idea of what was going to happen to me was uh was a detriment to it uh but again the acting was great i mean for, for unfortunately was, yes and, good acting is being wasted on stupid stories and i mean the the yeah obviously the, the plants were moved around by fishing line but you didn't see any of the string so it was wasn't too bad of an no, effect not too bad not must too have bad. been using that five pound test line I'd that probably little yeah you can, get, you can get 200 yards of it for a dollar 85 at walmart <laughs> if, uh, if if you uh, wrote it and we could go 50 50 it belongs to the god dumbala Known only to his own people for centuries. Oh, well, well, if it's that old, then it's out of copyright. I can just take it and give Chrissy my shirt. So the next segment is called Voodoo. And in this one, another member of the the cabinet uh, is a jazz musician who is in the West Indies for a gig and stumbles upon a voodoo ritual ceremony going on. And because he's white and into jazz, he decides... No, back that one up, brother. He is like the whitest dude ever. Yeah, I mean, his I'm him sorry, and his bander. It's just beyond. He's he's beyond. He's Wonder Bread white. I yeah. Mean, no, this dude, I. We need to back it up even further, and y'all need to oh, say what you said during the film. Oh yeah, when he was up there with his band. Uh-huh. Yeah, I called him White Bread and the Honkies. White Bread and the Honkies. That's right. He's <laughs> he's uh, mayonnaise on white toast on a paper plate. In a During snowstorm. a snowstorm. During a snowstorm. That's, That's right. right. On Labor Day, right? But he's so white that he goes to he he sneaks up on a voodoo ceremony, and instead of being enthralled by what's going on and or being scared by what's going on, he's tapping his toe and he pulls out a notepad <laughs> and starts writing the musical notes of the conga drums that are being played. And I love, he was like a kid in a candy store. It was hilarious. He was in the bushes, sitting there smiling. He's bouncing, yeah. and he's writing down the music. Now, this this was stuff. a very funny scene because it was very, uh, um, very naked gun because, like, it would show him 
in the bush writing and then it would yep. it would cut to the ceremony it cut back and there was a voodoo guy behind him yeah one of the tribesmen one of the behind tribesmen him. behind him didn't notice so he was writing cuts back to the ceremony cuts back yep. to him again now there's two now there's two of them cuts yep. back to the ceremony <laughs> cuts back again there's fucking three and we're yep. like okay this is this is a this is a bit this is a gag and yep. then cuts back again and we're like okay when it cuts back it's going to be four cuts back to him and of course there's four there's four dudes. Of them. this whole time four tribesmen snuck up on him behind him and he didn't even notice it was yeah. pure naked gun gag now anybody knows uh, you know anything like this if you interfere with a ceremony like that you're most likely end up either a corpse or cursed they basically accosted this dude drug him out of the bushes chastised him for <laughs> For we wrote down the news. He stuffs it in his shirt somehow and gets away. How he, I don't know. I think he writes it out of memory. Yeah, because the guy yeah. tears it up and the guy scene. took it from him. Yeah. yeah. So that, he he gets back to London where he makes a, a composition out of it for his jazz band, Whitey and the Whiteys, and <laughs> proceeds to play it. Crack a man in the saltines. Proceeds it. to play in this club and. Um, because he's playing it, the evil spirit of Bazuzu, whoever it is, uh, <laughs> enters the club, and there's wind opening the doors. There's women weaves going all over the place. There's there's papers all over the place. He's basically creating a hurricane inside. No, this is the '60s, dude. The Everybody's hair was real. It wasn't yeah. no fake. Well, I yeah, might have been some was, wigs and hair, but you know. But yeah, uh, so creates a. They're more pissed off that that Aquanet didn't hold. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, I guess so. Because yeah, that was the shit back then. And so he. You know, his friend who um, knows a bit about the, his, his fellow bandmate knows a bit about the voodoo curse or the voodoo religion, whatever, tells him that he needs to get rid of that music, that it's created all this. And he's still so white. He's like, oh, and there was just, there was something in the middle that wasn't right. I'm going to tweak it and make it, make it better. <laughs> and so he goes home and while there, shit starts happening in his house. And then one of the tribesmen shows up. Um, and gives a dude a heart attack. How about an eight foot tall motherfucker yeah, shows up tall. in full makeup in his living room, and jacks the jacks the music, jacks off the music, up. and then walks yeah. off. Yeah. Well, and I mean, we've clearly referred to how white the guy is, but oh. in all reality, did we really? I, you know, I'm not sure. I feel like we I think, I think you need to reiterate how more. white he was. But in all reality, <laughs> this was just basically summed up into a 15 minutes of 60s white privilege. Yeah, I yeah. mean, a, a white guy going into a, an indigenous tribe's ceremony totally plagiarizing their ritual and then Come taking and... it and coining it as his own in a jazz band <laughs> in London. It just screams 60s racism. This cracked <laughs> me up, though. This was actually, so far in the movie, was by far my favorite segment. And the music was badass. I'm sorry. The jazz music was good and the tribal music was good. It was inter- This was an entertaining segment. Well, and it was a good spooky story. It, it kind of had the Scooby-Doo vibe a little bit. It really bit. did, actually. That's a good point. It's a very good point. It did. It's... So, all right, James, <laughs> what are you going to uh, rate this one? It's it's a slam dunk for me. This is so. This is by this is easily a one turd for me. This one's not that bad at all. It was very entertaining, laughable, not very scary or horror ish, but the story itself was good and I enjoyed it. Okay, and uh, Kristen, two, a two, a two. Yeah. What made you give it a two? I still liked the first segment a little bit better. Okay. In terms of it just being a bit spookier. All right. Um, but this one was definitely. Um, much more comical had a lighthearted much more lighthearted vibe to it but mm, i don't know still okay. favoring the first one all right 
Uh, yeah, I'm going to go three on this one. Uh, it wasn't too bad, but uh, even with all the... Um, I mean, no, let's let's go two because it was so much fun to make fun of the white privilege and how white these people were <laughs> um, that it elevated it to a two for me because the rest of it was just so-so. I mean, the acting was great, of course, but otherwise I thought the story was just nothing all that great. And, of course, it wasn't scary. But the ending with the uh, tribesmen and, and the stuff happening in the guy's house oh. was pretty cool. Yeah, it was. It pretty was. Neat. So, it that, was. so I'm going to give it a two for that one. Sweet. A work of notable incompetence, <laughs> even from Mr. Eric Landor. You don't like my work, Mr. Marsh. Ah, the great man himself. One wonders why you come to my exhibitions so regularly if my work displeases you. Duty, my dear sir, duty. All right, so the next one is called Disembodied Hand. This one is the one starring Christopher Lee yep. as an art critic who is a prick. <laughs> he is and, a total uh, douche. He makes fun of the art of a prolific painter by the name of Eric Landor, who is played by Michael Gao, who played Alfred in the Michael Keaton Batman movies. Yes, he did. So anyway, so while he's uh, at one of the exhibits, he's making fun of all the paintings of Eric's and... Eric gets the upper hand on him by bringing out this painting that looks different no from the others. That, that was going to say, first pun. No. There's going to be a ton of fucking puns in this one, let me tell oh, you. Oh, yeah. Um, and so he brings out this painting that's different from the others. And as the as uh, Christopher Lee's character is uh, complimenting it and saying that he could learn a thing or two from this artist, uh, he asks if he can meet the artist. And uh, he says, sure. And so he brings out a monkey, <laughs> thereby saying that, Christopher Lee doesn't know good art from a monkey art. That's right. And embarrassing him. So then we spend the next five minutes of this dude stalking Christopher Lee's character to all the different art exhibits that he goes to and just uh, all the different places he's at. He ends up there um, and just making fun of him. And eventually it wears down on Christopher it, Lee. It sets him the fuck off and he does a whole Christine thing. And he he runs down the guy with jalopy, the car. Runs yeah. his ass down. And, and the runs funniest... over his hand. Runs over his hand. Runs over his hand. And that's funny as shit. Which means that he can't paint no more. So the guy's in the hospital. Uh, his hand has been cut off. And there's a really bad effect of like this big stump of gauze gauze <laughs> on his hand. Yeah. And um, eventually the guy kills himself because he can't paint no more. He shoots yep. himself. He blows it. He shoots himself in the head. But yet he doesn't just fall down. He dramatically raises his, his good hand mm -hmm. into the air and this clutch look, and he just fades down, and his arm slowly goes out of the shot, and then and he did. Suddenly, after that happens, the his dismembered hand somehow comes to life and starts to chase after Christopher Lee. And let's get something very clear. It's not Adam's family thing chasing. It's scooting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's they, they created some sort of weird 1960s animatronic hand that looked terrible, but, I liked it. I mean, the the, the, the way <laughs> the the actual paper mache or whatever the hell they used looked bad, but it actually crawled on its own across like carpet and stuff, and so yeah. look look cool that way. I thought that was really neat the way it crawled. They probably brought in German scientists since they had so many, you know, German folk working on this movie anyway. Yeah, but yeah, so they, they had they had a. Uh, it wasn't like like you said the Adams family were like it was just a dude hidden behind something. It was up like something. on its fingertips, running real fast. It right, was, like a tarantula. Right, exactly. Or it wasn't. Butt. It wasn't just like creative cuts of like where the hand was coming out of a box or something where you knew a guy was hiding underneath. Like the the hand 
was severed and it was moving on its own in like on like carpet or parts where you couldn't hide a person or at least you couldn't tell where they were hiding a person. And so. of course, when you have a cut off hand and you have a bad guy, what happens? Hand job. <laughs> <laughs> what what happens, James? The hand goes after the dude. Yeah, so he he appeared he it appeared in the guy's car. Uh, Try to his choke home. his ass. <laughs> he, uh, he I loved it. Threw it he in the fire. It. Yeah, he it still he came back after that. Oh, and it was cooking too, man. You could yeah, hear it, you could hear it sizzling in the fire pit. But the best part was the best part was after he thought he 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 burned it, after he thought he got rid of it, he's driving in his car one stormy night, yep. and all of a sudden the and hand... this was this was hands down the best scene. See, pun pun intended again. Yep. But um and. All of a sudden, as he's driving, the hand suddenly appears out of nowhere and slaps onto the windshield, stopping one of the uh, wipers. I fucking love that, and I actually called like, that. I yeah, remember you I was did. Like, he, I was he like, called it, yeah. I was like, please, hand, jump on the damn windshield, do something. Which <laughs> You've caused, already done the inside of the car. Do the outside of the car. Yeah, exactly. We don't want to repeat. <laughs> Let's do it. Which causes him to crash, and then he goes blind, and that's the end of his story. Because yep. he can't be an art critic anymore since he's blind. That's and right. so the uh, ambulance drivers say, well, you can do plenty of other things with being yep. blind. <laughs> you can paint. Oh, wait, no, you can't. Sorry. And here's a stupid thing, you know, going back to the train now. Because, you know, he's just going around in a circle. Of course, the movie dictates that, yes, every person in the room has to be read at some point. But I'm thinking by the third guy or even the second guy is like, hey, look, both these motherfuckers have got death cards. I ain't doing shit. Oh, that's something we didn't mention. So after <laughs> after every story, so the stories take place when the Dr. Shrek guy pulls the four cards from the tarot to tell the guy's story. And then after the story airs, they pull the fifth card and... Which is for, like his end result or something. Yeah, well, like what the, he says is there there is a way out of this fate and ah. the fifth card will reveal the way out. There we go. And for every single person, the way out was death. Right, it was a death card. So, so they're like, damn. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so what do you give um, Disembodied Hand, James? Disembodied Hand cracked me up. I'm giving this one a, I'm also giving this one a one. Okay. Because of the comical element. It was not a bad story, but the whole the whole thing, Adam's family thing, hand crawling attack. But the windshield bought it for me okay. when it jumped up on there and hide and jacked his car and caused him to crash. I fucking love that. Okay, cool. And uh, babe, one a one. Wow, because nice. I agree. The they're very very creative with the way that the hand was i really liked it i thought it looked like a like a super creepy zombie hand yeah Um, Yeah. again had a little bit of this a super dark but still kind of a scooby-doo vibe yeah um because some of the um taunting back and forth kind of reminded me of that um just the typical 60s humor yeah and um yeah nice cool i'm gonna go one as well um, I think this was a very fun, um, fun segment. Christopher Lee was great as always. It was fun to see Michael Gow as, as anything other than the, than the butler from Batman. <laughs> um, and it was fun to see him go from being just a crit, uh, art artist to being a dick by taunting. That's probably why he character. got stuck with the art. It's probably why he got stuck with the whole Alfred role. Yeah, motherfucker, you want a job here? Yeah, we've seen your work. Yeah. You were that one hand motherfucker back from 1965. Uh, no, you get Alfred. Yeah, and, and the the hand part was cool. The hand animatronic was really neat for 1960s. Uh, and, it, yeah, it was just a, it was a 
this is one of the f- more fun um, segments. So yep. I, I think I think it had deserves a one. And last but not least, Nicole is my wife. You know what a vampire is? It's a spirit that takes up residence in a human body, conferring upon it the power to turn into a bat at night, so that it can glut itself on the blood of innocent victims. And if the victim dies, he becomes a vampire, and after death rises from the grave and walks the earth in search of blood. Is Vampire... Blah, 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 This one stars Donald Sutherland as a man who returns home in the United States with his new French bride by the name of Nicole. French? She sounded more Romanian to me, but okay, go ahead. And for some reason, uh, uh, so uh, some reason he be, he begins to believe his, there's something wrong with his wife, and <laughs> he goes to a friend of his, Doctor Blake, who is testing, who has her blood tested, and somehow finds out she's a vampire. Um, and off so off screen, off screen, I'll, right? I'll remind you. Yes, and so decides that he has to kill that the that. He has to kill his wife because she's a vampire. Now I like the way it also alludes to the fact that soon there is evidence that the vampire is on the loose. There, there are dramatic and shit. And there, 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 there's no, it's not one of those. She might be, she might not be. Like you straight up see her like turn into a bat. And yep. I mean, the first scene is when he cuts his hand and she like licks his hand because she's, it's Ugh. blood. But she turns, she turns into a bat and takes off. And so it's obvious she's a vampire. Um, and so uh, he then ends up. Killing her, what? Killing her one night after she comes home from a night out on, on the wind, Ugh. and oh, let's not forget how though, with a stake, with a stake. But yet, when he was whittling that damn thing, remember he gave, <laughs> he was holding a fucking log, yeah, and he was whittling. Five it. minutes later, he not had a, even he like had like ten seconds later, he holds it up here, it's a super sharp it, point. And it was a super sharp point. That was one whittling motherfucker right there. I mean, he was quick. Make like a hillbilly proud. Stick so, him with the pointy end. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so he kills her, and the police come to the house next morning to arrest him, and he tells them that his doctor uh, said that she was a vampire and had to kill him. When Dr. Blake arrives, he denies everything and saying that he had never said any of that, and there was no evidence he was a vampire, and he's crazy. So they arrest him. At which point, uh, they ask him if he needs a ride home, and Dr. Blake says no, he'll walk. And then he turns to the camera, breaking the fourth wall, and says... Also predicted. Yeah. Also, yeah. And said, <laughs> yes, he predicted this. He said, uh, this, town's too, this town isn't big enough for two doctors or two vampires. And then does a ballet puree and turns into a vampire. <laughs> he sure does. A puree. Yes, a puree. A puree. A puree. <laughs> Pirouette, whatever it's called. Yeah, puree. It don't matter. It's pure. Yeah, that, that, he that, pureed that bitch. That's, yeah. that, that's staying in, and uh, turns into a bat. And so that 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 is why he was able to whittle the damn stake, a damn log down so fast. He uses vampire speed to whittle that yeah. shit real quick off screen. That's right, off screen. I will add. I will add. So anyway, so that was the uh, it was vampire James. What do you score that one? I didn't like that one that much. It okay. was kind of middle of the road. The bat was fucking stupid. Yeah, it was pretty horrible. I'm gonna go three. I'm gonna go three turds on that. Because, you know, it was still cool, but not, yeah. Not as good as the other one? No. Okay. So I'm going to go three turns. Not as bad as that five turns on bits, though. All right. The damn fucking the, killer the plant. plant. Yeah. Fuck that thing. Babe, what do you, what do you give it? <laughs> so let me, so before I give my number, I okay. was super stoked that they did a werewolf segment, a vampire segment. So I was really excited to, to like, kind of see what they did with it. And so 
particularly with the vampire when I saw that, okay, a guy suddenly finds his new bride to be a vampire. I was like, great, I want to see how they're going to go with this. And I was bored as shit the entire (laughs) time. I was miserable. So I'm going to have to give it a five. A five. Because I had such high hopes and they just crashed and burned. Yeah. shit. I I was pretty, like I said, like you, I was excited to see them bookend the whole series with, you know, Werewolf at the Beginning, Vampire at the End. I was like, cool. Cool, that's gonna be neat you know and and put the shit in the middle whatever but everything that happened in the segment happened off screen or it happened so fast that you had no i no time to contemplate how they came to this conclusion or that conclusion it was so rushed it was so muddled and like james said the bat was so terrible as far as the effects i mean how, how do you how do you have a disembodied hand that looks better than a damn bat and first of all, and it, and the and the motherfucker couldn't do nothing but crawl. Just this little yes. slight crawl. How the hell that motherfucker jump onto a moving car moving mm-hmm. about 30, 40, 50 miles an hour? You're going back. We're talking about the bat right now. But no, no, we're the, talking the, about the, the bat. But the, it's all the hand looked better than the bat, and it's a bat. It, it, it's actual, <laughs> an actual thing that you can you can see fly like on like newsreels or, or, or I nature see a, footage. I or see a stage hand running across a catwalk above the shot. With a fishing pole, yeah, and just bobbing his arm up and down, yeah, with that bullshit, <laughs> yeah, it's bullshit. And then the whole yeah. breaking of the fourth wall, I thought was kind of stupid. Um, I'm gonna have to go with five as well on Ooh, this one. Damn, yeah, it was definitely the, the most boring and uh, the least interesting. I mean, you, it was as bad as the uh, killer plant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then we have the end of the movie or the epilogue, um, in which everyone has realized that they. That all five of the people on that on in that car have no future. They're all destined to die. They all got that damn car, and they're like, "Oh shit!" Yeah, and so they ask Doctor Shrek, "Well, what about your future?" And so he does the trick on himself, but instead of revealing the four cards, he just pulls them off to the side and pulls the fifth card, his destiny card, and it's the death card. Yep. And at that point, one of them asks him, "You know, who are you?" And he replies with, "Haven't you guessed by now?" At which point, the the train light goes out. When it comes back on, he's disappeared. The death card is face up on on the chair in front of him, um, but he's gone. The train stops. They all think that they are finally arrived at the des- destination. No train crash. Yep. They're saved. They're they they don't have to worry about it. They get off the train, and they're at this weird, dark, creepy station, Spooky. deserted depot with red yeah. smoke and shit. And when they get off and turn around, the train is gone. And so, Kristen, you called it. Yes, I did. You said that Dr. Shrek was actually death, mm-hmm. the angel of death. And as they're standing there, they are... Uh, Think a, you bad, don't you? Yeah. As they're standing there, a uh, <laughs> a newspaper falls from above them, and one of them catches it and reads it, and it says... Train, and James called this one. Train, James called this... Five die tra- and train, train crash, crash. Five dead, which is so, the, those five. So these bastards were already gone. Yeah, and they see so. Dr. Shrek again, and they call out to him. He turns around, and when it cuts back, it's a Halloween Express <laughs> skeleton in a row. Yeah, your, your high as I call it, the high school biology lab skeleton. Yeah. So uh, the twist oh. was that they were all dead already. Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. He Apparently was, they were dead like at the beginning when they started even the, reading the damn Right, thing, so. right. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, that's the end of um, Dr. Terror's House of Horror. So, so uh, it yep. was basically 1965's version of Inception. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It was like a death within a death within a death. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right, so let's start with the uh, guest, um, Kristen. Ooh. What did you like about the movie? 
I really liked just it was typical 60s cinema it mm-hmm. was um and and i have not seen very many movies but it definitely had that classic feel of a little bit of humor a little spooky um it's definitely a nice diet coke version of horror so. nice i like that i like that yeah <laughs> yeah okay it's coke zero for it's coke horror. zero <laughs> there you go Okay, so what what would you score this movie on the shit scale? I would give it a one overall. Really? I'd, I'd really? Just, Even I would, with the five turd thrown in there? Huh? I would. I would go straight through and just skip the vampire altogether. <laughs> Blow her right off. Just forget that whole thing, huh? Yes. Bye. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, James, uh, what about you? Well, based on my averages... I love the most. The thing I love most about this movie was the nostalgia and the acting. I like the old creepy horror feel, the old Hitchcock era music, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, the eeriness. Yeah, you know, very predictable, of course, because you know, you know, compared to today's horror, it's absolutely nothing. Right. This is a nursery rhyme compared to something like you know the original Halloween movie or hellraiser or something like that yeah so going with my averages i had three ones a three and a five i'm gonna go ahead and go two overall because of the fact that i did have the turd segment the, the bad one with the plant okay so that kind of brings it down a little bit for me because i'm gonna go more with my average so if i average it out it's about a three okay i mean a two excuse me yeah i actually i'm gonna go two as well uh it's a it's it's a fun movie um the atmosphere is to me is what saves it the, the not just the 60 atmosphere but like the 60s british horror goth atmosphere of it all saves mm-hmm. it the soundtrack is great the acting is fantastic it's just unfortunate that you know the majority of the stories are, are not very good or boring as shit but overall i think it's fun i think it's worth watching maybe having a drinking game to it or something but i think after maybe one or two watches you will have no reason to go back to it after that the, re- yeah. the rewatchability is not very high on this one. so No, because once you, 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 it's one of those ones you watch it once, the, su- the surprise is out of the bag, so you'd want to convert it into a drinking game, like do the mustache game. Since it's English, guys, you might want to do like a English, chops game. English top hat with a cheesy handlebar mustache I say on do the screen. A, do a mutton chops game and just put like a one-sided yeah. mutton chop on there. There you go. Yeah. Every time it hits the right spot. Slam one. Every yeah. time he draws the death card, you have to take a shot. Oh my gosh, you'd be, you'd, you'd be dead as well by the time the movie ended. That's at least six shots. That's at least, yeah. All right, all right. Well, that was great, um, Kristen. Thank you so much for joining us. We sure thank appreciate you, for you. Having me. you. Bet. Yeah. Now, um, if uh, anybody wanted to locate you on social media, could they? And if they could, uh, where could they find you? Uh, so my Instagram is an ordinary Houston girl. Okay. That's where I do most of my cosplay and uh, photo shoots and just my random. And we, we, we have another Exploring. one too when we show our we show off our kids, right? Yes, we have uh our three dogs and we have the uh Davila dog house. That's D A V I L A dog house, all one word, right? Yeah. And that is awesome. I follow that as well. I love yeah. to watch I mean, especially the hamster. Yeah. <laughs> I love you the can, hamster. You can see our Corgi, our German Shepsky and our whatever else Bowie is because he's He's a mix. He's a mix. He's a super mutt. That, yeah. That's you got some great dogs. Yeah. So go Thank go you. follow us on there. Go follow her on an ordinary Houston girl. Mm-hmm. 
um and um yeah we she has a ton of great pictures on there and i'm not just saying that because i'm married to her he is yeah. a little biased i am a little bit but not but but yeah. she has great pictures on there so Absolutely. all right james uh so where can they find us okay well they can find the podcast now on anchor.fm we we just recently moved to that platform and we if you go there you can find us on any of the other platforms usually any of your favorites like skype skype skype, skype. nope not on skype Ugh. on spotify I always, or... I, I always say skype instead of spotify to my you know not all the time but yeah spotify itunes every one of them yeah you can find them all there uh, on social media, you can find us on Facebook at What Suck Podcast. We are on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, when you go to search for uh, search for us on those two, you're going to need to put the underscore between the words. Uh, we come up anyway, but it comes up better if you do it the other way. And do us a favor and go on uh, Apple Podcast and rate and review us, please. The more you do that, the further up the list we go. So if you yeah. would do that, that would be appreciated. Also, uh, if you go to our Anchor website, there's a link there where you can leave us a voice message. If you want to leave us your version of a review from something we've seen or something that you wanted to see, you can go on there and leave us a voice message, and we might even play it on the show. Oh, yeah. Leave leave dirty messages, cuss us out, whatever. If if you think we suck, if you think we're great, either way, we want to hear it, so go leave us a message. Well, the one good thing I can say is so far there hasn't been any hate. Well, that's... That's no, good. No hate. That's good. I like that. Not everybody's liked all the time, though, so it, it's coming. So. Of course, I'm ex-military, so you better watch what you say. And James, where can they follow you? Oh, if they follow me, they're going to get shot. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Facebook, just James E. Bishop Third. I'm also on Instagram at James Bishop III. I'm supposed to be the third, but then you know it doesn't work. All right. Follow me. Uh, as a matter of fact, sometimes if you do send a friend request or something, if you can send a message to let me know you heard about me on the podcast so that I don't reject you and think, who the hell is this? Because a lot of times I go through my friend requests and, you know, if there's no matches, they're like no friend matches or something. Just let me know that you, you know, you came to me through the podcast. That way I can... Uh, Accept your friendship, and I'll say howdy to you. That's a good point. That's a good point because yeah. there are a lot of I thought about that last week when I've been talking there. about this. I just want to make sure that I don't accidentally think somebody who's trying to follow me is bullshit. Yeah. No, I, I, that's a good good point. Um, all right, guys. Well, and, and if you have any suggestions for movies you want us to review, please uh, send that to us, and we'll take a look at them and add them to the list and uh, at some point get to them. So, Absolutely. Uh, until next time, this is Chris, and I will see you at the next Suck Fest. And this is James, and if it ain't on what to suck, it ain't shit. All right, guys, see ya. Peace. Switching to GEICO is a good idea, especially when you consider everything. First off, GEICO makes it easy to switch. They have licensed agents available 24-7 online or over the phone. But if it's so easy, you might start thinking everything is easy, even big wave surfing. And it's not. It's actually quite difficult. 
Well, if you switch to GEICO, you could save hundreds on car insurance. And you could keep saving by bundling your motorcycle, boat, and RV, plus your home or renter's insurance. But saving money might lead you to make some questionable purchases, like a 20-foot feather boa. And do you know how hard it is to clean a 20-foot feather boa? Well, they do have an industry-leading mobile app you can use to pay your bill, file and manage a claim, or add a new driver. But when life gets a little easier, it makes you too confident. And you start calling everyone ace. And you're better than that. Well, GEICO has a 97% customer satisfaction rating and has been saving people money for 85 years. It's hard to beat that. But you're right. Switch to GEICO. It's obviously a good idea. Switching to GEICO is a good idea, especially when you consider everything. First off, GEICO makes it easy to switch. They have licensed agents available 24-7 online or over the phone. But if it's so easy, you might start thinking everything is easy, even big wave surfing. And it's not. It's actually quite difficult. Well, if you switch to GEICO, you could save hundreds on car insurance. And you could keep saving by bundling your motorcycle, boat, and RV, plus your home or renter's insurance. But saving money might lead you to make some questionable purchases, like a 20-foot feather boa. And do you know how hard it is to clean a 20-foot feather boa? Well, they do have an industry-leading mobile app you can use to pay your bill, file and manage a claim, or add a new driver. But when life gets a little easier, it makes you too confident. And you start calling everyone ace. And you're better than that. Well, GEICO has a 97% customer satisfaction rating and has been saving people money for 85 years. It's hard to beat that. But you're right. Switch to GEICO. It's obviously a good idea.